Hey, welcome to What's on Your Mind. I'm Peter Snowart, and today you're going to enjoy a conversation with Timmy de Porter. Timmy de Porter has written this beautiful book, Bring Yourself to Work. And in our conversation, we're going to talk about his journey, his insights, his lessons. It's really a fantastic book about a person who has reinvented himself by going inside himself. Enjoy Timmy de Porter and buy his book. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Is Very it, well. Is, is it Tim or Timmy? Because officially it's Timmy, but I listen to Tim as well. A lot of people say Tim, so but on my passport it's Timmy. Yeah. Ah, okay. Because on your LinkedIn is Timmy, but yeah. your book is Tim or it's also Timmy? It's also Timmy. Ah, yes. okay. Yeah. Okay. But originally you're born in the Netherlands or what's, what's the situation there? Uh, I was born in uh, Zealand, Flanders, ah, which okay. is the Netherlands. Yeah. But it's so close to Flanders that yeah. most people consider them more Flemish than uh, Dutch or something in between. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I moved to Ghent when I was 19, so I've been living in Flanders for longer than I've been living in the Netherlands. And then you studied in Ghent? I studied in Ghent, worked for a couple of years in uh, Brussels with an accountancy firm. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Deloitte, yes, uh, very good experience. And then my father asked me if I wanted to come into the family business and join him in the family business because he was looking for a successor. Ah, okay. So, so, so you took over the company? I did. At yeah. When you were like, I don't know, 20? 28, 29. Okay. I didn't take it over right away. It was in steps. Yeah, okay. Gradually, then I, uh, uh, I I started doing uh, the commercial side of the business, the operational side, um, and we were back then we were doing about four million in revenue. Our mm -hmm. company is in staffing and recruitment. Yeah, uh, my father was doing finance and the payroll, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We were a very small team, so that was all right. We started growing very quickly, and uh, within six or seven years, we were doing. 25 million okay so we scaled our business yeah, as yeah, we say yeah. nowadays there was, back then that was not uh, really applicable and and if you could back go back in time and if you would meet the the timmy at 28 the day you started at the company of your father mm -hmm. what kind of advice would would you give him right now if you would go back I wrote a book for yeah, him. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that you wrote a book about it, but yeah. just one or two things that you would say. Uh, I would say um, surround yourself with people that you can um, connect with and that you can relate to, that you can uh, talk to about the things you feel, the problems you meet, and not people within the company, but people outside the company, peers, who are in the same situation, who can relate to what it's like being in a family business, okay. what it's like having the fa family dynamics on the one hand and the business dynamics, uh, and also being in a position of leadership. Because when I started, you know, I was CEO, but there wasn't any staff, so I, I was CEO of nobody, actually. But once we started growing, you know, you get to a certain point where you have more than 10 people uh, working for you, and then the whole thing changes. Yeah. I think everybody can, a lot of people can relate to that. The, the whole position of a leader changes once you have more than 10 people. Once the two pizza rule no longer mm. applies, so to speak, then you have information discrepancy. Not everybody knows what you know. Not everybody is aware of the culture. So you have to have some form of, some way of getting people on board and getting them to work in line with how the company does things, how you want things to be done and to get on board on the results that you want to accomplish. Yeah. And I really struggled with that. Yeah. yeah. Now, at, at that time, um, your perception of a leader or a CEO, was that then um, made by, for instance, the image you had from your father? Was it, or was it like from movies? Because yesterday I had a discussion <clears throat> with somebody, and I also said to him, a leader for me, a long time ago, that was somebody who had to be strict, a little bit angry, who was command and control, um, very alpha. Um, and I thought, and also he thought, that it, that was the way a leader should be. 
Yeah. But it isn't totally. What was your image? I had a different image. And in retrospect, it wasn't the correct image either. I understand the image that you're talking about now, because that was the image that I saw from a lot of managers mm-hmm. at Deloitte at that time, mm-hmm. back then. And also my father, part of his generation is also my way, is going to be my way. You know, it was uh, a bit strict and a bit angry. Um And I wanted to do things differently. I wanted people to be happy. You know, uh, the whole employee engagement thing was very dear to me. But uh, for me, if if I look at what I wrote down in my book, there's a lot of polarities in it. And one polarity is between obtaining results Mm -hmm. and having people be happy in your company, humane company, you know, everybody laughing, having a good time. And... I was taking care a lot of the people. I wanted them to be happy, but failed to take care of the results that we needed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the results, then people aren't going to be happy anyway. Because at the end of the year, it's, sorry guys, no bonus because we didn't make our results. So you have to be able to switch between the two. So I still believe that it's important that people feel good mm-hmm. in a company, but they should also be activated to start running for the results and for the ultimate goal of the company so and then it comes down to that your values and your mission are really clear and that you can bring it across to people what you're trying to accomplish and that they all line up to say okay we're going to work for that i also feel a little bit that um by focusing on which is beautiful eh? um focusing on only the people and make sure that they are happy um that there's also a possibility that some people, that, that sometimes they have crossed your boundaries. Absolutely. And 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 uh, that there may be some kind of people-pleasing behavior within you because you, you want to make sure that these people are happy. I think there's um, two sides to that in the sense that, yes, some people stepped over boundaries with me, but I allowed them to step yeah. over my boundaries mm-hmm. because um, I was running very hard to make sure that everything was running smoothly for my customers, for people, for and within the company, for everybody. But I wasn't taking very good care of myself. Mm. And as I got more and more into physical and mental troubles, yeah. I wasn't very stable as a leader anymore. Mm. So I, I mentally, I kind of left my place. Mm. And then other people, out of the best intentions, but unconsciously, they start filling up the space that you leave as a leader. And, you know, they think they're doing the right thing for the company, but actually they're not because they are taking room or taking responsibility that they shouldn't be taking. So my pattern from my personal history is that I take too much responsibility because Mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for people to be happy. Whether they're happy or not is... It's not up to me, it's up to them or or up to circumstances. So I took too much responsibility, became unstable because of that. And then other people start taking too much responsibility because they start to fill my shoes that are mine to fill as a leader and owner of the company. And so my personal pattern becomes their pattern. And recognizing those patterns, those things, is one of the precious things that I've learned these past few years Uh, looking at it with systemic intelligence, as they call it, looking at how people uh, take their place, who is part of the group, who is not in the group, how ranking takes place, and what place you take as a leader. And I think leaders are necessary because they can provide a lot of safety for the group, they can provide boundaries for the group, but they're also separate from the group. And I really struggled with that loneliness. I wanted to be part of the guys. And I then drinks, be, drinks, be, and yeah, yeah, you and, know, and, and the gossip. Uh, what did you do in the weekend? Yeah. And, and have colleagues, but it, it, the point is, you don't really have colleagues on the same level. Up to a certain level, you have that, but you know, if you're the CEO and you sit down at the lunch at the table with a bunch of people, they're not going to talk the same way to you or with you at the table as they would without you, because you're the CEO. Because you're the CEO. And so it's okay not to sit down at the table or sometimes sit down at the table, but you shouldn't try to get that from those people because Mm. they are the people working in your company. They're not your peers. Mm. Uh, If you feel lonely, go talk to some other people 
who know how that's like what that's like how it's like to be ceo in a company uh, in the book you have mentioned um, or you are mentioning like the systemic work mm-hmm. um, but also meditation what was the first thing on your journey what was the first thing that you encountered was that like meditation that or was meditation okay yeah. uh, how did you how did you find out that mindfulness beyond prince i believe it was yep. um, because mindfulness is is actually meditation is the more western variant but it's yeah. actually the same eh? i mean uh, it's the same yeah it's uh buddhism without the ropes yeah, yeah. um i uh, you know I, when i was in that period before i had a burnout i was really struggling so okay. i followed the training with beyond prince didn't really do anything with it uh with the mindfulness training and then when i was in my burnout uh i got several oh. advices you know go in therapy um I didn't do meds, didn't want to do calming med- uh, medication or whatever. I did start following mindfulness. So I went back to Bjorn and I said, you know, I want to do something to uh, get back into balance again. So I started going to meditation days that he organizes and still organizes for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, which have really been an eye-opener for me. I, I really uh, gained a lot of uh, introspection there. And in the beginning, it's funny because when I started meditating, I was still in the middle of a burnout. So my mind was running running all the time, going over conversations, dialogues, things that go wrong, whatever could go wrong, did go wrong. And I thought after a day like that, I was completely exhausted. And I thought I had a very good day of meditation <laughs> because I went over a lot of things. Yeah. And it, it was only after a couple of years that my mind started going quiet. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Now I get it. This is what meditation is. This is what mindfulness is. Did you did you ever experience bliss? Yes, I suppose so. But uh, Is that kind of state where you, you forget that you have a body and that you are some kind of stillness that you feel happy? It's, it's, yeah, it's a very unbelievable feeling um, where everything is good as it is and there is, you don't need anything and... It's like you don't feel your body anymore. It's some kind of, I don't know. Um, uh, for me, it, it's very much feeling your body, but being okay with the way everything is. So I can mm. relate to part of what you're saying, uh, especially that it, for me, it's a very embodied thing. Yeah. It's not an out-of-body experience, yeah. although those are other kinds of yeah, experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I can imagine that there is bliss as well in having an out-of-body experience, although that might also be scary. Uh, but for me... I always notice it when I meditate for a whole day and I don't do it that often. I'm not, I don't have a very good meditation practice. So you don't, I practice two times a day, 20 minutes in the morning, then in the evening, or if I, I can in the afternoon, but you don't. I don't, no. Actually, I, I meditate a lot less now than I did back then. Okay. Um, but when I do meditate, I go to one of those meditation days, then you know it's for a whole day. Uh, and for me, the, This helps me because if it's for a whole day, then you can dodge the bullet. Hmm, Anything okay. that's going to present itself will present itself. Whereas if you meditate 10 minutes, well, you know, you can always keep your mind busy during those 10 minutes not to have to look or feel what is presenting itself. And yeah. You can evade it a bit and say, okay, I meditated today, but you didn't really sink into it. And if it's for a whole day, well, then you really have two options. Either you bite the bullet, you go and look at what presents itself, even if it's painful, Or you step out of it and say, I'm not going to finish this day. But I hardly ever did that. That only occurred once that I, you know, I just couldn't handle the whole day of meditation. So But because for me, it's been life-saving, really. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's the thing I was going to say. I mean, in your book, you're very, very um, positive about meditation. It really literally changed your life. Eh? And I it fully did. agree. Eh? Yeah. I mean, if you want to have more creativity, if you want to... I wouldn't say lower that critical voice in your head, but if you don't want to, uh, if you want to be sure that you are not your thoughts, exactly, because that's where the key is. Yeah. Once you start realizing and feeling that that you are not your thoughts, yeah, meditation is is a fantastic thing, and I think that's the key or the portal to everything. Separating from your thoughts, especially the inner critic. The little voice in your head that keeps going over. It's like uh, hate radio, fake news that yeah. you keep telling yourself. 
radio Milkolin for the Belgian listeners who know what that is, uh, the, the hate speech radio from Rwanda. You know, it's like I had for years and I still have a little radio Milkolin in my head that, that talks shit about me and tells me that I'm not good enough. Who wants to read that book of yours? Uh, who think you're a good leader? What do you have to say? You weren't a good leader, etc., etc. It doesn't go away, yeah? It doesn't go away, but it diminishes. And it's also, it's a source of help because that voice also protects you from becoming arrogant or um, less careful about the things you do. It helps you to stay rooted to who you are mm -hmm. and so it's a double function too much of that voice is not good but not having that voice at all would make me reckless in some way mm, and i wouldn't okay. want that either so did you have that in the past that you thought that the sun was shining out of your no i never really had it. my <laughs> inner critic was always very very much present so more the the, the opposite yeah, okay the inner critic was uh, a, a little bossing bit... me around ah, okay yeah. a little bit too uh too shy. Well, I think everybody had has some point where they're very proud of. And, and for me, it was um, the whole idea. I read a lot. And so I know a lot of little facts about the world. And I was very proud of that. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that in your book. Eh? Yeah, so I was, I was the best uh, or trying to be the best student in class. And when you start doing that whole I know more than you with people, then people, you know, very quickly become annoyed and say, okay, this guy thinks he knows everything. So there I do have a little mm. arrogant side thinking uh, that, that the sun shines out of my ass, so to speak. Well, the, the, fact, the fact that you are yeah. conscious about it, I mean, I mean, that's the first step, of course. Eh? Of course. Yeah. Being conscious, being aware of what goes on inside you mm. is for me so important because then you can connect with another person and with a team and become aware of what goes on inside them and goes on inside the team and become aware of patterns and, and the ways we are stuck. And then you can really get pumping on results because if you can talk to somebody about their patterns, about how they limit themselves in getting to where we want to go as a group, as a company, as an organization, that really helps. So the whole idea of digging in yourself is not, you know, some sadomasochistic thing. It helps you clean up the litter that is left behind in your life. You know, it helps you sweep before your own front door and then you can help other people get ahead and, and start uh, overcoming their own limitations. I think you just gave the best relationship advice you can get. Yes. Work on yourself and then the relationship will become better instead of fixing the other or trying to point at the other that he or she should be fixed because uh, you need to do the work yourself. It, it, and I think everybody who's in a relationship knows that when you've had a fight or an argument, how do you fix it? When does it become when you take responsibility for your part? Mm -hmm. When you say, I'm, I'm sorry, this is where I, mm -hmm. you know, was triggered. And very often you're triggered by little things that bring you back to a, per, a period in your life your where you were young, to your no. childhood, where you were without protection and you become very visceral in your reactions yeah. and very immature. And I think it's so important to know what is the button that triggers you. Because yeah. if you know what your button is, you can't prevent it. I mean, it's still going to happen. I call it the Britney Spears moment in my book. It's, oops, I did it again. Um, but if you know, okay, this is what ticks me off every time, then at least you know it and you can steer past that cliff. And once you start realizing that about yourself, like, okay, I have several buttons and if people push it, I'm going to go up like a flare. Well, probably other people have buttons as well. Yep. So nobody's perfect. We're all humans. This is how we relate to each other. We constantly tickle each other's buttons consciously or unconsciously and then we're off. Do you, do you have children? Yeah, I have two daughters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one of the drivers uh, of that uh, healing the trauma of your childhood, I would call mm. it, for me is also personally, I have a son, or there is a son in my life because mm. I, I don't have a son, um, um, is if I am going to heal my traumas, I'm not going to transfer my traumas onto them. Mm-hmm. He will have traumas for certain. Everybody has, so that's 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 one thing. But that's for me also a driver to. I mean, uh, 
once you start healing yourself, I mean, you, you are an example to your children. So they also see that healing yourself, it's a good thing and not some kind of fluffy, strange thing, but it's, 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 it's growing. It doesn't stop when you finish university or, or, no. or, or high school. <laughs> it even then starts. It, it starts. It's like getting your driver's license. You only learn how to drive once you have your license and then you, you know, have all these, uh, kilometers that you're doing, all this mileage that you're doing. For me, my children became very important drivers for what I do. Uh, for writing this book, for uh, trying to heal myself, because I could see how I was installing things in them. Because, um, you know, my eldest daughter actively, uh, or not actively or consciously, she was still very young then, but she was already there when I had my burnout. So I wasn't a very safe person then for myself nor for my environment. And so I see the tension that I have within me that is always there. Uh, that is being kept under control with meditation or sports or whatever. I see it within her as well, and she's still very young. So sweeping my own front door, yeah. I hope to get rid of the ballast that I'm not yeah. transferring it to her too much yeah. so that she can live her own life and solve her own problems. Uh, and, and Instead of you adding extra. Instead of me, you know, already starting her off in life with a lot of good things, but also this ballast that she never asked for and that is not hers mm. i'm you know solve your own stuff and leave it to them to solve their own stuff because like you said very beautifully you don't have a kid they're their own persons mm -hmm. and they came here through us yep. and we get to guide them for a little while once they are on their way they are yep. on their way yep. and yeah this is this is the beauty of, again, systemic intelligence was already mentioned, but starting to look at it that way really helped me relate to my own youth and how they are having a youth of their own and, and how things work, how that patterns in life just continue through generations and how, yeah, this very beautiful quote I'm thinking of now that, that I saw on LinkedIn, um, that trauma travels through generations yeah, it is, it is. until a person yeah. is able to grasp it. Yeah. is able to, to heal it, and then it stops. There are even certain cases that uh, a certain trauma um, has such an impact on of, of a mother, on a child, mm. that, that the child has asthma. And um, when... Uh, so the normal way of doing it is so fixing the, the asthma with medication Inhalers. and stuff like that. Yeah. But and then the, the mother uh, went on a journey to heal itself... Uh, also with uh, with uh, hypnosis, mm -hmm. and then she healed herself, and then the asthma went away. Mm -hmm. For me, in the beginning, when I read that, it was very strange. But now I really believe that because everything and everybody is connected with each other. So mm -hmm. it's it's for me very clear that there is an impact of you being the mother having uh, an impact on on uh, the health of your uh, child. Absolutely, and you know the work of Gabor Mate, I, I hear there, yeah. uh, which is beautiful. I think everybody should re uh, see his movie Wisdom of Trauma. So get some trauma informed because a lot of people, if, if you define trauma very broadly as something that you hold in your body yeah. because of one or more adverse circumstances, then a lot of people carry that around with them. Yeah. And for me, it was uh, very interesting to see, not very funny, but interesting to see that I quit my job as CEO and I already feel much better in my work how come I still have these energy dips and uh, physical ailments that, you know, okay, some of it is part two aging, but um, so I started visiting a healer and that's something I would never have done three, four years ago because I'm very down to earth, rational, rational me too. I science yeah, based too. guy. Yeah, yeah. And here's something I can't explain, but I feel much better. Yeah, yeah. It's same I, for me. And a lot of people will probably say that's placebo effect. Yeah. I don't care. I'm, it, it works. Yeah, it works. I'm comfortable not knowing what this person is doing to my energy, it's working. I feel much better. I feel that my body is reacting to it. So, and what it is, I'm, I'm happy to know that there are certain things that we cannot explain through science and that are still there in our world. Mm -hmm. 
I think for that, for me, it's it's um, a lot more than science that is working through us. A lot of ancient wisdom that is coming now to us that people are opening up to. I mean, one of the more popular books in in twenty twenty one was Jeremy Land's Web of Meaning, which combines. I don't know that book. Oh, it's a good tip. I'm I'm reading it right now. I already read his first book, and it's it's basically combining science. Uh, newest scientific insights with ancient tribal wisdom with ancient eastern uh, wisdom uh, mm. and how it all comes together and i already read that somewhere before that you know quantum physics and yep. buddhism the way buddhism yep. looks at the world really comes together yep. so there's more to it than we can explain and scientists don't have all the answers and they never claim they did they never claim 100 certainty well, if, so. if you look at stephen hawking i mean at the end when he nearly died I mean, he said, and he was very anti-ist, eh? mm -hmm. and then he said, there is a God, but not as we know it. Mm. So, and he was like, because he, he knew there was something more that we cannot grasp by the five senses. Exactly. And if you, if you limit your world with the five senses, which I did like for 38 years or something, because mm. it felt safe eh, and very rational, you miss a lot of the beauty in the world. And uh, and there is more. Yeah. So and my, I have to say, man, I'm a very rational left left brain person. But at the same time, I also did some healing, and also it worked for me. If it's placebo or whatever, I don't care. The, the more important thing is, if I look at, you know, Joe Dispenza. No, I don't no. know. No, he's also in that in that area. Mm -hmm. He he had an uh, he he nearly died, and his 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 back was fractured, mm. and he recovered. Mm. by the power of his thoughts eh? uh, but it took months 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 and uh, he's now giving lectures and he is speaking about the placebo effect but we also have the nocebo effect mm. so this means that you uh think uh for instance you you take a certain pill which which could contain sugar and you think it's it's like an antidepressivum and mm -hmm. you take it and suddenly your serotonin uh, levels are being restored and you feel more happier um that's the yeah that's a placebo but the nocebo effect is that when you are focusing on for instance on fear mm -hmm. uh, uh, and that's yeah that you're going to yeah limit your life and going to have also very terrible things coming at you because you're focusing on literally the i wouldn't say the wrong stuff but the, the, the stuff that that makes you scary so it's also the other thing so if you focus more on the positive things Having that placebo effect. Yeah. I mean, if it works, it's it's uh, it's 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 fine. How young are you, uh, Timmy? I'm 44. 44. Yeah. I two years younger than myself. Yeah. I mean, if you would go back now again to your 18 year young self, and we would meet the Timmy, he is having a beer and a, and a cigarette or whatever in Ghent, uh, where he's studying. What 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 kind of advice would you tell him? Would you say listen to your intuition? I mean, with the knowledge and the wisdom that you have right now. I, I think I'm not sure I would have a lot of advice to give then because having lived through the things that I lived through made me the person that I am. So it's, you know, I, I, I would do, I would take that DeLorean with Doc and maybe go back further and try to see if I can prevent Rene Descartes from writing down, I think, therefore I am. I am. That because it's bullshit. Because it, well, apart from that, it's caused a lot of harm in our society yeah, with the whole disconnection from our bodies, yeah. a disconnection from the world around us. Look at what we're doing to the planet. And still we think we are entitled to that extra holiday. So a lockdown is a bad thing. But we're so disconnected from ourselves that we don't feel our bodies anymore. And, you know, I'd get a sturdy crossbow across to the centuries, but still realizing that that's bullshit anyway, because somebody else is going to write down the same idea. It would have been invented anyway, dualism of mind and body. Uh, it was what was happening then, just like evolution theory was what was happening in the 19th century. But to prevent dualism, I think, would have made us... Uh, better off all of us uh, and now only now we are partially rediscovering that that it's not just the five senses and that our bodies have something to tell us but a lot of people aren't ready for that no and we have to accept that as well I, i'm 
a bit adverse of management hypes, just like meditation is now becoming a management hype. Everybody should meditate, get your calm app, and then you're on the meditation. That doesn't fundamentally change anything if you do that five minutes a day and don't really feel it. I wouldn't want to advise all leaders to get onto the ayahuasca rituals or whatever mm -hmm. to go into a higher state. Um, it, it's either it will land and come to us, this whole idea that we are connected. But the way we, if we go inside ourselves, that's already a very good way of reconnecting. But in the beginning, it's painful because if you've been ignoring your body for a long time, you know, it's the same if you're running. Uh, doing sports and you ignore uh, little the, the red flags. Yeah, they're red flags, and then your body becomes inflamed, and then your body, you know, you go into actual injury. That's because you've been ignoring things too long. Uh, so the first time you go inside, it's painful because there's a lot of red flags waiting for you there. And that's why I did meditation for a whole day. Then you can't touch all those red flags, you can't ignore them. You have to go through yeah. and look at each red flag and say, Welcome, red flag. But the, the, that's the thing. We are conditioned in the West that pain is a negative thing, whereas mm. in, in the East, pain is seen as the portal to enlightenment, to growth, and invitation yeah. to grow. So, I mean, pain is not a bad thing. And it's also part of life. Yeah. But uh, I suppose the negative connotation is not just the pain itself, but the emotions Yep. Uh, because we're not just pushing away pain, we're pushing away sadness, we're pushing away anger, we're pushing away a lot of very rational, normal emotions uh, that are part of who we are. Yeah, it's like and clouds, and they're passing by. Yeah. And it's not, it's, not, it's not a state of being, and that's what we think they are. We think that emotions, eh, I am angry, yeah. I am... No, you feel angry, but you are not angry all the time. And part of me feels angry. Yeah. Not all of me feels angry, because part of me feels very loving towards my children, and part of me is very curious about your next question, and part of me is, you know, there's a lot of different parts inside you. They just get pushed to the background. No. Yeah. And so we're really like a lot of different voices in our head. Uh, and if there's one voice that's always on the forefront yelling the loudest, that's the one we start listening to most. And by going inside, we can disconnect from those voices and say, okay, welcome, you're part of me. But now I'd like to listen to some other voices that are part of me as well mm. and listen to what my body has to tell me or not listen to the voices in my head because I want to, you know, not be minding the mind yeah. for a bit yeah now um an, a typical reaction of running away of yourself and not listening to the whispers in the beginning mm. that your body is saying to you is um is numbing so a lot of people are going to binge watch netflix drink uh, drugs uh, sex whatever mm -hmm. um was hard working then your coping mechanism Or, or you had, or had like a sugar I, addiction, or, or I can check off several on the list that you <laughs> mentioned. So, uh, and and there's nothing wrong with uh, binge watching or uh, sex or drugs or drinking. And once again, if you're aware, yeah, if you're conscious that you're doing it, that yeah. you're doing it to please a part of you that yeah. needs pleasing, that it's like uh, something you give yourself. If you do it unaware, it just comes about. Then that's where it gets dangerous. Yeah, and hard working was. Part of my numbing process was also part of my way of saying to myself, I am worthy, yeah. I'm good enough. So it was a, both things. It, it was numbing, but it was also, look at me, I work so hard, now people will like me because I'm so hardworking or th will say that I'm worthy. So you're looking for something that you don't need to look for because everybody is worthy. Nobody needs to find worthiness in the eyes of others. If you are at comfort, basically at comfort with yourself, being an inhabitant of your body and feeling what you feel, then you don't need the approval of others. That we still go looking for it, of course, but then we don't need it as hard yeah. as we do. Yeah. For me, that's the, that's the biggest insight that I did what I did. I mean, I was looking for that external validation because I felt not good enough, because I was imprinted with that, also with the fact that I had been bullied. I was a very shy, introverted uh, young boy. Mm -hmm. And and then you touch something, you're like, oh, you're great in sales, especially in startups. And then you 
are getting those results and those results were yeah. I identified identified with. So I was somebody. Mm-hmm. Also, it comes with money and a big car and things like that and suits. Yeah. And so you become you you are wearing a mask but you're not i was not aware uh, conscious or aware of the fact that i was wearing a mask yeah. um but it's actually an a pit a very empty pit that you're filling that hole that you're filling but it's and the end it's going to make you unhappy because it feels like you it's are running thing. after a carrot yeah. but you cannot grasp it whereas it's not in the doing what it's in the being you are enough right now yeah and and Something that you said triggers me is being a sensitive person and being bullied. And then you go out in the world and you think that bullying was behind me. That was when I was a teenager. And then a team works for you and you have to provide safe harbor for that team. Yeah. You cannot be safe harbor for other people unless you are a safe harbor for yourself. Yeah. And that means going back, revisiting those painful experiences and, you know, making... They will always be with you, but revisiting it and becoming safe for yourself and becoming enough for yourself. Yeah. And once you are able to do that, you are able to truly connect with other people and provide more safety for them so that they too can revisit sometimes visible uh, painful experiences that they pushed away um, if they have to. And yeah. they don't always have to. You're not an amateur psychologist, but if revisiting those experiences can help them stop limiting themselves and help them obtain the results that you want to obtain as an organization. That is something worth doing. Helping people grow, not just because it's nice to see people grow, but because they then will help you obtain the results that the organization needs to obtain. So we don't take the time to do that. We're filled with meetings and with uh, emails and with uh, uh, countless tasks that are really maybe not that interesting should be automated or should be gotten rid of Mm. Uh, and it's very hard work to be aware all the time of the dynamics in yourself and in your uh, it's very hard work yesterday i had a very interesting conversation with a bunch of people who think very differently than i do about uh, the the vaccine for the pandemic and about uh, things like uh, the, the measures that are being taken and it was very interesting for me to feel what I feel and not respond to things that I don't agree with, but just allow it's an opinion to be there. Yeah. It, you know, if you want to have some really good challenge for yourself, it's having a conversation with people that you really basically disagree with. And for me, that is what safety is all about, is that we can really disagree about something, whether that is vaccines or the way to get a marketing strategy online for our company but still be okay as people. Yeah. Still knowing I'm going to be okay with you if you're my CEO. Yeah. Oh, really, you hate my ID. Now, the, a lot of people will want to crawl in a corner. Shit, the CEO hates my ID. I'm done for. But really, the ID should be, okay, let's really fight about it. I'll fight for my ID. You fight for your opinion. And in the end, we go out and we shake hands and we're still okay as human beings. And that's when you have the same purpose. I mean, it doesn't exactly. matter who wins the idea. It's just to put that needle 1% yeah. extra ahead. And what leaders need to do there is let go of the idea that they have all the answers. Yeah, and let Be- go of your ego. And let go of your ego because too many leaders are really good firemen. They're solving problems all the time. And they think, I'm the only one who can do this. And at the same time, they are complaining about, I don't have good people, I can't find good people. And on the other hand, they're totally addicted to solving all the problems for everybody and walking into the room and saying, this is how it should be done because I know best. Yeah, and I even think that that uh, if I look at the team that I work with, I mean, they are doing certain things much better than I am and they are more capable than I am because... I don't care. I, I don't want to know that that depth, but they're just better at it. And I think you should recruit people that are much better in certain areas than you are. Absolutely. And I even go further. There are a couple of people that I'm... And I, first of all, my principle is is that um, you're not above the team. The team is above you. So you, you, you serve them. And I focus on becoming the best version of themselves using the mm-hmm. potential that they have well, on every aspect, eh? like the people-pleasing thing, because it's, 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 it's not only professional uh, encounters, but also in the prof- in their private life, also k- keeping their boundaries, eh? because they, they have the tendency to work too much. Yeah. Eh? They're young, young uh, wolves, uh, mid-20s. 
don't have children so they don't have that they don't they don't feel the limits and they have yeah. lots of energy and also the fact that they um i lead them by becoming me uh, not me but becoming a sales director manager whatever because some of them express them okay that's your ambition so we're going to train you so that i am no longer needed within one year or two years ago yeah. ten years ago my ego would hurt but now it feels very it's 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 it feels very yeah like yeah it's okay i mean then there comes a new opportunity and 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 it's it's and they feel that and it makes it yeah very interesting but it doesn't mean that I'm not triggered by some of their actions, of course. Yeah, I of course. mean, um... and and that's normal. But that's you know, some people are addicted to that ego side of being the one who has all the answers. And in the complex world that we live in, we have to let go of that idea. We have to take personal authority and personal leadership. So for me, somebody who says, you know, I'm really ambitious and I know what I'm worth, okay, prove it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prove it. You have to prove it. Of yeah, course, yeah. we don't accept it because you think it because that's ego as well. But it's healthy, you know, if you want people to, to nod yes and only listen to what you have to say, fine, but then your company will suffer for it. Well, that's that's one of the, that's if, if one key for a very successful startup company that you would need is that tension. I mean, people should be feeling emotional safety yeah. where their idea that they really can express it even if, if you don't agree at all. And it's that tension that is going to create some... Yeah beautiful music if you look at jagger and richard i mean they were not always on the same page but th that tension creates beautiful music it, it's that tension that you have to walk towards yeah and you can't do that all the time and you don't have to do it all the time but if you don't do it then you get into trouble yes. i had one employee who said can't we just be professional and do our work which was like very vulnerable message i don't want to go there I'm not ready yet to go into that tension. But you have to walk into that interpersonal tension like, okay, I feel this, you feel this, there's something else. Why don't we agree? And what is that? What is yours? What is mine? And what is best for the whole system, the whole organization? And going there really um, helps people, especially if they feel that, okay, we went there. It was very exciting. I felt very nervous. Of course, if you're disconnected from your body, then you feel all that, but you don't know what to do with it. You know, we, we being where we are now, we can recognize, okay, I feel that tension in my stomach. Mm -hmm. I know what that is. It's because we're having a conversation that's exciting, that's going about going into interpersonal risk. And people who aren't as much used to that, you know, they need some guidance getting used to risky, uh, interpersonal risk-taking or tension. But once you are used to that, it becomes fun to do that and get results and feel okay afterwards. Yeah. Now, one thing that also triggered me was what you'll find found in your book, and you just mentioned, let us be professional. I had a colleague um, who started crying uh, during an, a one-to-one -one meeting we had, and um, because there was too much pressure, there was too much work, mm -hmm. things like that, and... and um, I hugged her, mm -hmm. and uh, of course I asked if I if it if it was okay. Of course, eh? I mean, mm -hmm. and she said, and she, and she kept crying, and I'm saying it's okay. And she said, this is not professional. This is not professional. Me crying in front of you, and I'm like, mm -hmm. why not? We know each other already for some time. So, I mean, why, what, where and what book is it written that crying is not professional? Yeah, in the. I haven't read that book, but there must be a book somewhere that says that everything that we perceive as a negative emotion is um, something that we shouldn't show. Uh, I think for me, one of the regrets that I have in life is that I find it difficult to cry. Yeah, the same for me. Yeah? If I would be able to cry, I would be able to regulate much better. Yeah. So for me, that's really uh, well, a regret. It, it is what it is, but... Uh, and. What I also find particular about what you're telling me is it's a her. So there's also a thing about male energy, female energy to it that, um, you know, we, we uh, look negative on women who cry, apparently, in, in business, whereas we shouldn't because it's just a way it, it tells you something about yeah. the pressure that that person is experiencing. 
probably also about the pressure that the company is putting onto people. Yeah, true. But the boys have different ways of handling that pressure. Yes. They start doing risky business like, you know, sports or whatever, or drugs, or uh, they have different ways of venting. So it's it's interesting information for that person and for us as leaders on what is happening there. And it it's human behavior to cry. It's self-regulating. It's very healthy. So it's really painful actually that people perceive that as unprofessional and something that we should not do no then again i have temper tantrums and there's a bigger taboo on anger than on sadness even you, you have tantrums temper tantrums ah, okay. yeah okay um, so it can mild compared to some family members but uh so yeah, but you can you can explode angry. that's what you're saying i can explode yeah I can really feel myself get so angry that I could walk through a wall. And there's even more of a taboo on anger shown that way in an explosive way than on sadness. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of normal human emotions that we haven't learned to cope with in a healthy way. Um, so I think your reaction is very commendable to give human attention to somebody who is crying because she feels pressured and to even hug her, which is also not a very obvious thing to do uh, unless it's safe for that person. Of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it, 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 yeah she, she needed it at that time. So, yeah. um, do you think there's a relationship between the fact that boys cannot cry? I'm just generalizing here. Eh? Yes. And tantrums like some kind of, uh, hidden anger because, I think I have, and I, I don't think I have the same. I, I normally, I don't get angry a lot, but when I get angry, triggered by something, it, I get furious. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you would break stuff, things like that. I don't yeah. do, because I, I can I immediately go into my body and I'm like, okay, okay. But mm-hmm. it's still there mm-hmm. once in a while. You it, know, uh, we, we it, it's... Um being careful not to generalize too much, of course, and not to put gender on it, because nowadays we have employees coming onto the market who feel gender is a construct. And uh, But for me, I was born and raised in a generation that still sees gender as a biological fact. Uh, And there is something about male energy and female energy, the way we relate to it. And I think in some places, there is not enough room for female energy, boardrooms, for instance, And in some places, there's not enough room for male energy, some teacher rooms, for instance. So if you have a healthy balance, um, you know, you can let both energies flow because companies need both. They need those hunters uh, and that's male energy to really hunt for things. Uh, And that's the sales department. But there are also a lot of women who feel that energy, who can apply that energy and doesn't really it shouldn't really matter anymore if somebody is male or female because that's whatever nowadays that's whatever they choose to name themselves or to identify themselves but it is about the energy that you allow the energy to flow in both sides and that if people say i feel unsafe because of my gender or my uh, uh roots which are in a different country or my religion then that's something to take care of because you're missing talent or you're missing out on on uh, valuable opinions because people don't feel safe. So they should be able to bring themselves to work, uh, and that's what really is coming up now with Me Too, with the woke movement, with oh, a lot in, of other in, things. Inclusive, 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 uh, and diversity. And I think the sad thing there is that it becomes another management program where yeah. we tick the box. Okay, everybody had the inclusive training. Mm-hmm. Fine, we're all good. Yeah. But we still don't have the meaningful connection. It's always that surface ever not going into the <laughs> the real and the deep. We're we're, we're yeah. just snorkeling, but we're not deep diving. Really, really have a conversation with somebody who is different from you, and and um, in the sense of background or roots or. Uh, and and that's really an eye-opener, having a conversation with somebody who was born in a different religion and in a different uh, country or in a different, uh, uh, you know, having those conversations and really listening to, okay, what what's that like for you? Mm. But Without really- trying to solve or judge, because we either start either judging like, oh, that's bullshit, or you're, you're exaggerating, or we start, oh, we want to fix this, we need to fix this right now. Just let them share experience and listen to it and without the, wanting and, to change anything. And, and that's the thing. Eh? In, uh, in all of us, we have like male and female energy. And yeah. 
the fixing thing as really like the male yeah. thing, eh? trying to fix with the solution, whereas just being and holding space, like you just also mentioned exactly. in your book, yeah, that's all there is. N- that's all. Yeah. And of course, that's on a personal level, but on a leadership level, you do need to fix toxic behavior in yeah. your company. So if somebody is behaving atrocious towards women or towards people who have uh, uh, different uh, sexual orientation or different yeah. roots, then you need to yeah. fix that and have a really good conversation with that person. I think... The large challenge for companies who want to be inclusive right now is how do you deal with people who don't buy the whole inclusiveness thing and who are threatened by it? Because if you say we want to be inclusive and open up to everybody, there is a small portion of your company, especially in production companies, that will say, well, goodbye to that. And you need to deal with those people as well because they have a place in your company as well and listening to their experience is worthy as well. But they're... Opinions might not be politically correct. But I think that's a very difficult one and a challenging one. And I don't have any... Um, this is how Hillary Clinton lost the elections, by calling them deplorables. Is it? Yeah. She called white working class people deplorable. And that's how they went to Trump. Yeah. Hmm. Now... Um, what what do you wish if people have read your book i mean i can really feel it's 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 a more of a passion purpose thing for you mm-hmm. sharing your 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 wisdom lessons learned your gifts yeah what why is the i mean what is the thing that you want people to take away for themselves because i really am convinced that in order to start that journey that you had, or also me, is that it always comes back, it always starts from some kind of breakdown, some burnout, uh, divorce, uh, whatever. But there's, I mean, people who don't have that, normally they will not choose the route of, of personal growth, of going mm-hmm. inside yourself. Um what 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 do you want that people are reading this leaders managers potential managers leaders that you say i want you do you want them to start a meditation course or at least explore it there's a, a lot of interesting things here yeah um the first thing is i think that some personal crisis is unavoidable Mm-hmm. But it's also a pandemic, a pandemic of burnouts in our society, uh, a pandemic of people feeling pressured, not being able to do everything they want for their families and have a job at the same time. You know, you, you could live off one income, uh, but now you have to have at least like two jobs, maybe three jobs in the future with two people to provide an income and buy a house. So people feel pressured. And for me, the book can do several things it can take the pressure off in the sense that people will recognize some things of themselves in it and say, oh yeah, okay, I'm not alone. Poof, we're all humans, I'm not alone. This guy went through the same thing or some of the same things. Mm -hmm. It could also speed up that journey of uh, personal growth because there's a lot of things that I put in there that I learned over the years that people can start exploring a little bit quicker than I did if they want to. They don't have to. You have to take things maybe more slowly. That's also good advice. But so I, I and I'd really like people to have words or language to talk about what is going on underneath what we see, the undercurrent. And I'm already getting some responses. Book hasn't been out for very long, but some people have been taking notes or taking certain paragraphs and showing it to their leader, their manager, saying maybe you should read this book or at least this part of the book because I think this might be helpful in our relation or in the team dynamic or in what you're struggling with as a a CEO or a director or a leader or a middle manager. So it's about finding language for things that we don't easily talk about and taking the pressure off and really start going for uh, slowing things down a bit so that we can find time to do the things that are really meaningful, connecting with each other, slowing down, so that we can speed up in how we obtain our goals. Um, those are a lot of things in there, but those are potential possible futures for the book, that it helps doing that, that it serves a purpose there. 
And now what's what's next after the book? Are you going to uh I don't know, uh is it is it you you want to create a keynote and and um Yeah, that's a very good question. I'm still kind of searching what will be my purpose. Uh, what is my calling? What is calling to me in this world? And I think helping people by writing books is one way. I think I have maybe another book in me sometime. Um, coaching people, I'm trained as a coach. So uh, helping people as a systemic coach. Uh, is also something that's calling to me, but that step that I haven't taken yet. And, and I'm not sure, maybe start another company at some point. Maybe start a practicing, I don't know. And I'll have to see what comes to me. Helping other leaders? Yes, either in executive coaching, leadership coaching, or uh, organization coaching. Helping them with strategic issues, helping them, you know, I know where we need to go but I want my team involved or we as a team know where to go, but we don't know how to get people uh, into action. We're constantly moving. We're constantly on the move. So how can you get to the dynamics and the undercurrent that block you, that limit you? How can you make sure that things get into flow? And helping them see through a systemic lens or helping them see through the struggles within themselves, those are things that, you know, really passing on what I learned in those 15 years That's something that that I think is valuable to do because put out in the world. Because I've seen a lot of companies grow with the founder, mm -hmm. who then is the CEO, and then like you explained, they start from a couple of people, then to ten people, then twenty yeah. people, then going to fifty, sixty, seventy people, and they are not made for uh, that role. I mean, they're good in as their passion, they found it, yeah. and then they obtain the title CEO. But there comes a lever where they like. This is no longer my, my, my. Uh, how do you call that? My art of genius, yes. because I mean they're good and at spreading that passion, that mission, that vision. Uh, but then they have to do all that organizational stuff. You get the employer part thrown in for free. Yeah. People didn't choose for that, and for some people the limit is very low. They're like ten people, and then poof, it's already you know because then it changes. It becomes more than a two pizza team. And for some people, imagine the growth trajectory of Showpad, for instance, whom I respect a lot for what they did, but thousands of people, at some point, you're going to have to ask yourself the question, are you still the right guy or guys in this sense to do that? And in my case, the realization came, I'm not the right person to do this anymore. No. I've been doing it for 15 years. I have to let go. No. And letting go is something we're not very good at because it means that we have to we are confronted with the finity of things and we're not very good at it. And was it hard yeah. to let go of the the title and the identification that came with the title? Yes and no. The interesting thing was it was a very conscious choice and I made it during the pandemic. I asked my successor who was already uh, uh, a business partner if he wanted to take over the role. But because he's, he said, I still want to work on the sales and marketing first to raise it to the next level. So I want to wait for a couple of months if that's okay. And I wasn't very happy with that because I was ready to push it all to him. But it turned out to be a very good idea to do that because he took the time to really raise things to a bar that I could not have done as a CEO. And then when it came very close to hand over my title, I started feeling very sad and very disconnected from everything and then uh, I was told you know you're going through a mourning process you're mourning the loss of what you're leaving behind which is very normal it's like a snake shedding its skin mm -hmm. so despite me having very consciously chosen to step out of that role I still had to take the grief that comes with it and there you go again grief is seen as something negative uh, whereas it's just okay this ends a period That was very difficult for me, but that was also very enriching. That brought me a lot, and that also provided some security, whereas people can, you know, if they ask you, what do you do? Well, I'm the CEO of a staffing company. And now when people ask me, what do you do? Okay, I can say I'm an author, but I'm not very sure what I am right now. I'm growing into something new, something that will call out to me in the future. And that's a lot more difficult to express. So isn't going through that phase is very very healthy, very uh, enriching as well to feel like, okay, if we end things in a very good way, that really helps us settle into a new reality as well because we did a very nice ritual in, both in the company 
and for me personally, I, I went to two uh, rituals to pass on the role, to leave behind my old self and move to my new self. And isn't that exactly the interesting part is that if you look at more spiritual traditions, they say, it. if you look at Eckhart Tolle, he says, it's I am. And that's it. I mean, for a lot of people, they become like, what? I am, I'm what? But if you then realize that you can put everything you want after that I am, then you can explore in life. Yeah. Yeah. You were a CEO, you are now an author, maybe in 10 years, you're like, I don't know, something else. There's two quotes in my book. And one is on meditation. It's uh, be an island unto yourself, the Buddha. Go inside yourself. That's all you need. But the other is no man is an island. And that's not contradictory. We are whatever we are because other people are in relation to us. So if I would be the last person on earth, I wouldn't be CEO of anything because there is nobody to tell to that I'm the CEO of a staffing company or was the CEO of a staffing company. So for me, this whole connection to other people is very important as well. That's what makes us human. That, that's what makes us connected. And as much worth as there is in Eckhart Tolle and discovering who you are and what your true purpose is, it's also a very Western way of yeah, yeah. tradition of, you know, we're all on this individual path of finding out who we are and becoming the best version of ourselves. Whereas it could also be interesting to go on a path of doing things together and discovering how we can make the best uh, society or the best world for all of us. And that, that's where the ancient traditions, if you look at, for instance, in Africa, it, they say literally it takes a village to raise a exactly. child. Exactly. And if you look um, to how we lived in tribes of 150 people, we needed each other to survive. Exactly. You had the more testosterone people who were... Uh, For against uh, the, the the animals, and then you have the more like dopamine guys who were smart, yeah. and um, so we really you needed each other yeah. to survive, and also the fact your brain can only process 150 relationships. Yeah. More than that, it's it's not possible, and and even adding to that that the the, the, the how do you call that the preckles the. Uh, sensory input the yeah the yeah. sensory input yeah. that you're receiving as a human being today today on one day is as much as one person 150 years ago for his total life i mean mm -hmm. and i think the, the the real key lies in i wouldn't say going back but to learn from those old traditions where actually human being was was made for Yeah. So uh, so I fully, yeah. fully agree. And if you even add to that Stephen Coffey with his co-creation, which is like a group which is in flow. And if I'm a musician, I can tell you when you are in real relationship with the other fellow musicians and the audience, it's like a very special ayahuasca um, yeah. thing where you become, that you feel that the total is more than the sum of the underlying parts. Absolutely. You become the dancer. Yeah. The dance becomes the dance or the dancer becomes the dance or you're no longer a drop in the ocean. It's it's like yeah. it's like that. And you're also a vessel. Yeah. You're not playing music. The music is being yeah. played through you or the right. dance is being danced through you. Yeah. And that's the same with, with family constellation or organization yeah. constellation yeah. work. It, the constellation comes through the one who is guiding it. Uh, it's it's a lot of things with flow is wow, I was out there for a while. My yeah. ego was out of yeah. it, but look at what I created. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. So, and, and doing that together with people, that's beautiful. And we haven't moved all that far from tribal uh, living. Biologically, we're still wired no. to communicate that way, to live that way, which is why we're so lonely. Because if I step out of my house to work and, and my wife does the same, we can't just say to the neighbors, will you mind the kids? Even if we can trust our neighbors to do that, and I have very lovely neighbors, it's not an automatic thing that you do. Whereas it was very normal in, in a lot of villages, it's still very normal. You don't even have to ask it. The kids will take care of themselves, and there's always somebody who keeps a little eye out for them. No. Imagine what that would do to the level of fear and loneliness in our society, knowing that we're so connected to each other. Yeah. Thanks, Timmy. 
Um, Thank you very much. You're no longer a virgin anymore. Um, so, uh, Britney Spears ear. Um, <laughs> I, I liked, by the way, the humor in your book. I really liked it because it's... Uh, you have a very special kind of humor, which I really like. You have this very, um, I would call, um, serious topics. And then you inject some kind of very strange humor thing in it, like the, the, the Britney Spears. And I, I, I like that because it makes it also light. Um, yeah, otherwise it would be a little bit... It's, is that where, where did you get that? Or you just... That's the Timmy humor. It is, and it's also something that I share with my best friends. Uh, and, and, you know, we love Monty Python, we love that yeah. kind of humor, and we love my, making fun of each other. So for a very long time, uh, I've learned to accept taunts and jokes about me, uh, sometimes with good humor and sometimes with a bit not so good humor. I, but uh, learning that, that it's not all too serious and that we're not all too important, that's very, very good thing. Do, do, are you also a fan of Ricky Gervais? Yeah, but less so, more, yeah. yeah. Uh, because he has an, uh, an, uh, a show called Afterlife, a show, and um, I just recently discovered it, and it's about a an, uh, an, an, an man who has lost his wife on cancer, mm-hmm. and um, and they are showing yeah, how he's picking up life with humor, and yeah. at the same time, yeah, showing that trauma. So it's a very strange combination of a very tragic thing mm-hmm. with humor on it, and it's it's a yeah. I find it a very special combination because it's yeah, it's it's something not to laugh at. He laughs with it, but he does it in a way that it's not um, sarcastic, and he's not laughing with the trauma. No, but he's laughing with the absurdity of life. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And that's the good thing that yeah. you don't have to take yourself or life too seriously. This is what life is. This is what we are. And it's fine to have some humor in there because we don't want to take it all too seriously or too heavily. Yeah. It's serious enough as it is without us feeling that it's very serious as well. So so again, like I mentioned, you, you were a version of podcasting. How did that experience went for you? You're it, still alive? <laughs> I'm still alive. I'm very happy uh, to be on the show. Thank you very much. It was a very interesting conversation. And uh, yeah. It's uh, it's very nice. And I'm going to give away one of your books um, mm-hmm. because I really I know a lot of people that I want to give the book to because they are or have been in a situation similar to yours um, because I find it, yeah, I find it one of the best management books that I ever written because you're really on the balance of bringing, mixing that business with that personal growth and um uh, going inside hmm. and not going to the part that it becomes really fluffy or Eckhart Tolle. Nothing against Eckhart Tolle, but you know what I mean. Eh? I mean, uh, and I we still I, have to get our quarterly results. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> um, and I, I, it's the first book of the Kure that I'm reading, which is in that in that sense. So I'm very enthusiastic. Hmm. I'm, I'm even going to write an email to Elizabeth saying, I mean, this is pure gold you have here. It is. It's amazing. Uh, more of this, and I'm very happy to see this in Belgium and Flanders. Mm-hmm. Almost, al- although I think not everybody will be ready for it, and it's written very open. It's it's not that you allez, you don't have to follow any vipassana or vipassana meditation for ten days to oh. to start reading the book. You can really start with it and take what what is speaking to you because i think the book has certain i have multiple levels you can read it over and over again at a certain stage in your life again like you had with with uh, with the meditation or the mindfulness cafeteria model you can pick what you like yeah yeah thank you very much for the compliment it means a lot to me yeah yeah i wish you all the best timmy and uh yeah we stay connected and touch yeah Thank you. Peter. And I wish that millions of people are going to buy your book. It feels like we could have talked for another two hours, but uh, I'm sure we will do that uh, with or without a microphone at some yes. point. Thank yes. you very much for having me on the Thanks, show. Thanks, Timmy. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's On Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.